This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, Panther fans? Welcome to another podcast episode of the Four Man Rush. Today we got myself, Will, uh, Country Kev, Big Smooth, and special guest uh, Mike Wall here to talk about the NFL playoff games this weekend. We also got a special treat for you guys. We'll break down some film on Panthers left tackle Brady Christensen later in the show, so let's get it uh, started. We're going to start with this Bengals and Titans game. The Cincinnati Bengals went into Tennessee and got a big road win, defeating the Titans 19-16. Early in the game, the game couldn't have got off started in a worse start for Tennessee as they throw an interception the first play of the game. Their defense showed a lot of resiliency getting after Joe Burrow, keeping them in the game uh, most of the day. It's nine sacks. Look at the Bengals' offensive line, inability to protect Joe Burrow throughout the game. What did you see from that, uh, Mike? Well, so it's it's there's multiple dance partners with with giving up nine sacks, right? It, their offensive line has been a problem all year, but he also like anytime you're a quarterback who who gets sacked more than anybody else in the league, like part of that's your problem, holding the ball, seeing the rush. Yesterday, you know, you're trying to throw on schedule, and I think what's happened with the Cincinnati Bengals, I, I mean, I would bet money this has happened. At some point, they were like, all right. Our offensive line is not great. Joe, you seem to not mind getting hit a lot as long as you can throw the ball to the guys you want to throw if you're going to hold the ball a little bit longer. You know, this has happened. We've seen this. Oh, Aaron Rodgers used to do this. Ben Roethlisberger did this when he was younger. These, these young guys, they don't quite see the route progressions maybe in the way that the coordinator does. And so it takes a little bit longer. This guy's, But this guy's magic, man. So, like, we're going to go ahead and take – if we're going to drop back 40 times – we're going to take 10 sacks. That means he's got 30 times to throw the ball. And I feel pretty good about his 30 opportunities. Like it's almost feels like they're, they're just dealing with it that way instead of trying to keep him on schedule or, you know, shore up their protection more. It's almost like this, it, it's going to happen. If he's going to hold the ball, he's going to give up sacks. Guys are going to get beat one-on-one. We'll deal with it because we have magic on the outside with Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins and all those guys. And, and Joe Burrow is just something different, man. I know, Smooth, you had watched the game earlier to, uh, this morning. What do you notice from the Bengals' offensive line as why they were unable to protect their quarterback most of the game? Um, some surprising things, actually. Um, we're in playoff football now in January. Um, the biggest takeaway I saw was just a lack of communication. Guys didn't know who to block. I mean, I'm going to give the Titans some credit for dialing up good blitzes and, you know, mixing it up a little bit, but you still had a couple of weeks of film to watch on them, so – it was really just communication at first. Like, guys were coming free. Nobody was picking up blitzes. And that's just unusual for a team that's been playing all year long together. And then, um, secondly, you know, Jonah Williams, first-round pick, he had some struggles. And it's not that he's not talented. He just didn't look comfortable at times. And those are the two main things. To give up nine sacks, a lot of it was just communication and a couple individual guys just not playing their best ball. And we all, we all see it with every player. Some days, some days it's just not your day, and that's what it looked like for Jonah. He just wasn't comfortable at all. They were doing a lot of a lot of exotic stuff to his side, and it just seemed like he was a young football player. So at the end of the day, you know, he's missed a couple of seasons because of injury. He is a young football player. He does need more reps and more experience. But that's what I got from the Bengals game, and it's just Tennessee was dialing it up, mixing it up, and they struggled a little bit. But if you want to go further in the playoffs, they're going to definitely have to have more time in the field room and guys got to be comfortable. Like, the communication, I think, is just not acceptable at this point. You've had too much time to to blend with each other. Now, Kev, I noticed at times Tennessee was just bringing more rushers than 
um, Cincinnati had blockers, and you also saw a guy come free. You know, they'll say the free rusher is typically a responsibility of the quarterback. You think Joe Burrow had a lot to blame for a lot of the sacks he took yesterday? Um, in most instances, I wouldn't say mostly on Joe Burrow. Um, from what I was paying attention to when I was watching over the game, like uh, a lot of times um, Tennessee was able to create really with their four-man front, with their 40 front. Um, they they were doing basic D tackle, uh, D end twists. Uh, I saw a couple of um, um, line twists that, you know, at Panther fans we have <laughs> seen cause a lot of havoc. I didn't really see uh, anything really exotic done. Um, I just saw basically, you know, Jeffrey Simmons just being a man amongst boys. I mean, literally just dominating from, for, I think he got what a sack, the first series or whatever, he pretty much set the tone defensively for them. Uh, but as far as, like, outside rushes, they did have a few that came through. Um, again, playoff experience, knowing who your hot route is, wide receivers seeing the blitz, um, adjusting this route. Um, that'll be things that they would uh, – that uh, Coach Taylor would definitely have to, um, you know, work on, um, you know, moving forward, potentially, you know, in the uh, upcoming AFC Conference Championship game. Um, but, yeah, it's – it, it was more a lot of the pressure that I saw that Joe Burrow went up under of a majority. I was if I was to take a round guess, I'd say 70 percent of it was basically from uh, just a four down lineman, um, different alignment, doing some pre shift movement to kind of throw off the blocking assignment um, a little bit. But the uh, the interior pass rush, I was just like in awe. Like, you know, a lot of people doubted Jeffrey Simmons because, you know, he came in injured out of I think it was Mississippi State. But um He's definitely a grown man, and he uh, he definitely showed that yesterday. It would be nice to get that kind of production out of our top ten pick at DT. But I'm just saying. Well, that's a. But you don't get to play Joe Burrow every day, man. See, Joe Burrow's the guy that Joe Burrow's the guy. I mean, it's, it's true though. This used to happen. It really it used to go back and watch tape on Ben Roethlisberger. Go watch tape on Aaron Rodgers back, like when he was when he first starts, you know, playing. And those guys, it's almost like they don't want to have incompletions. So they'll hold the ball and they'll take the sacks. Like they don't care. And when you when you talk about knowing your hot routes, like knowing where the ball should go if there's extra man, knowing as a as a pass. And this is why I mean it's a, it's a team sport, right? There's other things going on than just like the right guard getting beat, the break speed off him over and over. But the play caller, this is kind of my point. Is like I think as a play caller, I think Zach has gone like you know what we're just gonna call our stuff. And he's going to get hit a couple times, and we don't want him to get hit, but he's going to get hit. But he's so magic, and when when the ball leaves his hand, like it's so magic that they're just willing to, they're just willing to deal with it right now because clearly, like a lot of teams, if they didn't have Joe Burrow, they'd get the break speed off him every week. But they'd also be running a lot of routes that made a little bit more sense as far as how long it takes for that route to develop. Who understand? Like hot reads would probably be the first meeting they had every single week. And it just doesn't seem like – because we've seen this all year, obviously. They gave up like 60 sacks already this year. And so it it just makes me think, like, they're just kind of set in their ways. Like, it is what it is. We're not going to get these guys a lot better. Joe, just go make magic, and we'll see how – we'll, we'll we'll deal with that in the offseason. You mentioned hot reads. One thing I thought they did do a good job of offensively was just getting Jamar chase the ball a lot quicker. Early in the game, they hit him on that wide receiver screen. He's down in the field 57 yards. He got one-on-one matchup, was able to get open quickly and started using a lot more three-step drops, things like that, and get him involved early. But still, I just thought 
we also have to give credit to the Tennessee Titans defense as well. I thought Jeffrey Simmons had a monster game yesterday and showed um, his dominance as well. On the other side of the ball, looked like the Titans offense was just out of sync most of the game, wasn't able to get anything going consistently. We saw Derrick Henry come back. Um, he had a pretty solid game, but not the typical high production game we're used to seeing from him. Uh, Mike, what do you notice of the struggles of the Titans offense yesterday? It's always tough when you have that bye week. Like a lot of times that the, the guy who comes in from the wild card, like that team has like they're just in a little bit more rhythm, right? Because they've been playing this whole time. It looked like to me, uh, Derrick Henry had some, you know, he had to get his sea legs underneath him there for a little bit. Um, he was he was kind of going down easier than you'd expect given you know his his historical production. And then like I'm a huge Ryan Tannehill fan. Like I was down in I was with him in Miami and I just like he just got a raw deal over and over and over again with the staff change and everything that he had, like, you know, four quarterback coaches in four years. And so when he got to Vrabel's place and it was solid and and, and stable and he had an offense that he could run and they, they've had the success, it's just tough to see him just three picks. That last one's just inexcusable and you know, lose the game basically on that play, and you just go. You know, unfortunately, like we've talked about this before, guys, there's there's four or five guys in the league that can win you a Super Bowl. There's 14 guys maybe in the league that your team can win and they, you can kind of bring them along. They're probably in the trailer. And then there's a handful of guys that, that are going to lose it for you. And uh, gosh, I just I, I really thought that Ryan would would go out and have a, a great game yesterday and it just didn't happen. How do you think um, late in the game, particularly that last interception, when your offense is struggling, do you think quarterbacks tend to try to press more and go above and beyond instead of just taking the easy throws, taking what the defense uh, gives them, Kev? Well, as far as, like, taking what the defense gives them, I felt like one of the things I noticed, and it kind of brought back flashbacks to Super Bowl 50 for me, was that it seemed that the there was a lot of five- and seven-step dropbacks with all that pressure. Uh, getting to it, and, um, I really didn't see the quick game, the quick uh, screen game, uh, you know, really being used to take advantage of that. You know, you know, for every move, there's always a counter move. Um, so for me, the play calling from my vantage point was really kind of like, okay, you see what's going on. You see where you're struggling. Where, where's the adjustment? You know, instead of just, we're just going to run what we've been practicing all week because, you know, we practiced it all week. Uh, for me, I just felt like that. It, there was um, there was opportunities to take advantage of what was being done. Um, for one thing, I, I felt like they didn't throw the uh, the quick outs, um, you know, them smoke routes, you know, like we used to do with Steve Smith, uh, you know, with Jamar Chase, you know, when they was playing off him five six yards. And as you see, when he broke that long that long one you just mentioned for fifty seven yards, um, you know, that that was just really like four yard catch, and then you know got a lot of yak after it. Uh, so. Um, I think play calling should take a blame, um, whether, um, you know, it's the offense coordinator or Zach Taylor, whoever, you know, gets to final say what play call goes in or, you know, however much, you know, they let Joe Burrow audible um, to that. But that's where I saw missed opportunities was uh, to not help out the uh, the offensive line. Asmu, what do you think uh, Cincinnati was doing up front defensively to help, you know, contain, keep Derrick Henry contained for most of the game? I was impressed with uh, Cincinnati's defense, mainly because the talent that they have fits well into their system. Um, Jesse Bates was really comfortable roaming that secondary yesterday. It, it showed. 
And then you got to remember a couple of a couple of things went their way. With a couple of tip passes, they were able to take advantage of. You know, you got to have a little bit of luck in January, but they had a lot of luck yesterday. And honestly, when it came to Tennessee's offense, I just think they were too reliant on big plays. You know, to keep drives alive, they were they were going for big plays. AJ Brown made a few, but you can't really play like that. You got to be consistent. You got to be able to just consistently move the ball up the field. And I think that's where they struggled at. So go back to what Kev was saying. You know, play calling is a factor. But, again, I got to give Cincinnati a lot of credit because they made him one-dimensional. I mean, how, who, who do we see stop Derrick Henry? Not saying that he got stopped, but they had some tackles for a loss. They stopped some drives early. Those are the kind of plays you got to make when you want to win. So, And Cincinnati did a good job of that. They just have a, a bunch of young talent that fits well into that system. Guys are playing comfortable, and that's not really common when you got a young football team in the playoffs. Right, you look at this last interception from uh, Ryan Tannehill, and I know Mike had said it was inexcusable. I'm going to pull it up on the screen uh, really quickly. I mean, you see Cincinnati, it's third and five. Cincinnati's playing a three deep zone. So you got three deep defenders, four underneath. I mean, you're just going to see this tight end slip out open, you know, underneath, but Tannehill's kind of locked in on his outside receiver. He's pretty, you know, sticky coverage on the outside. And, I mean, it's a good pass breakup, and you get a tip ball interception there. I mean, Mike, do you just think that's an example of Ryan Tannehill pressing, trying to make a play, or is he just not seeing it? Did he just not see it fast enough? Yeah, if he showed the end zone copy, his eyes are locked from the jump. Like, he doesn't look at anybody else. He's locked in for the minute he drops back. And and that's – I guess that's why I said it was inexcusable, right, because there's – it goes from – it's almost like they, they call the play and they're like, yeah, and throw it to so-and-so. Like, they're not giving you options, right, because you, if you let that play develop, there's a – there's a high angle po- there's a high angle corner behind that if the guy's flat foot reads on the on the on the uh, curl you can run the swing you can take the cross like there's things you can do and it, they may or may not get you the first down but they don't get you a turnover and you know because of that, it, when you get locked in I, you know I've seen I know Ryan like I've I've seen him get locked in before and you kind of <laughs> unfortunately like I know what it looks like and it's just this happens this happens to a lot of quarterbacks but it's it, it's unfortunate Right, let's switch uh, gears here and talk about last night's game. We had another upset. Two road teams uh, pulled off victories yesterday. The San Francisco 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers in a two degrees. I guess it felt like two degrees at Lambeau Field, 13 to 10. I mean, we saw Green Bay. I mean, first drive of the game, they looked like the best team in the league we saw all season. I mean, they were clicking, got Aaron Jones a couple good carries, got Devontae Adams involved early in the game. Um, we got a contain San Francisco as well. But then as the game progressed, I mean, San Francisco was just doing enough to stay close throughout the game. And what they like to do is just keep it close and win it in the fourth quarter. And what did you notice, Mike, about the Packers' struggle to put the 49ers away earlier? <laughs> oh, man, this is this game broke my heart last night. And the Packers look so good this whole year. And they've been very um, – They've done a really good job of having a balanced offense. And I think they tried to do that for the most part, especially in the first half. The whole game changed for some reason when Mercedes Lewis had that fumble. And Mercedes is probably my favorite Packer. But having that fumble, it just changed the mindset. I I don't know if it was the mindset of of the way they were calling plays. He actually had some time out. I don't know if he got hurt during that play. But all of a sudden, our second and third string, Dubar, and and I forgot the name of the other tight end, were in there in like situations where – we might need a veteran to come in and make a make a huge block or make a huge catch. And this has happened before in the in Green Bay 
with with play in, during playoff time is guys not named Devonte Adams were not getting open yesterday, and then AJ Dillon in the second half, and AJ Dillon got hurt. But maybe the most important thing we were talking about it off air. Billy Turner, the right tackle, came back, and instead of putting him at right tackle to face Nick Bosa, their best pass rusher, they put him on the left side and they let they let Dennis Kelly stay in stay in for the second game in a row and play against Nick Bosa and. Dennis Kelly's a, a pro. He's been in the league for years, at back up in Tennessee for years. He can play football, but he's like 6'7", 6'8". He's long-limbed. He is not built to play against a Nick Bosa-type player. And now you've got Lucas Patrick playing next to him, who is not the starting right guard. And that just turned out to be a, a real problem because it's not only the sacks that they get, but it's also the pressure they create and the fact that Aaron had to get off his spot, roll out, get into these. But guys, it doesn't, you know, the, the game, man, it's a series of moments. And it's not like you can just start adding up these moments where the, the third string tight end misses a block on the backside. The third string tackle misses a block and gets Aaron flush and they you have to throw that ball away. Like it just starts building up and all of a sudden you're back doing five step scat drops for the second half and nobody's getting open. It's just, man, it was, that was tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, outside of Devontae Adams, the Green Bay receivers just had one catch for six yards to Allen Lazard. Um, Aaron Jones was a big part of the passing games, but outside of that, they just weren't able to generate much offense outside of you know, that Rodgers to Adams uh, connection. Now, I know, Smooth, you're a fan of how the 49ers are built. You know, they have a quarterback in Jimmy G who's, I mean, he's good enough, probably above average, you know, by league standards, but... You no, know, he goes out there. He's not going to lose a game for you. He was very strong in the trenches. What do you like about the San Francisco team? And do you see them as a legitimate contender in the NFC this year? I like this team because they're, they find a way to get creative with their talent, period. So mostly you see, you know, you're both talented guys and skill positions. You try to get creative to get them involved in the game. San Francisco does something a little bit different that we don't get to see around the league. You know, you spent a lot of money to acquire Trent Williams. I see the guy pull. I seen the guy going in motion like a receiver, and you run behind that. That's your most talented player. Sometimes you got to put a focus on the offensive line and the guys that get the ball rolling. So they do a good job of that. They do a great job of getting creative with the offensive line and putting those guys in positions to be dominant and successful. That was one of the, the, the highlights of the game to me, just to see Trent Williams going in motion exploding off the snap and creating some movement. Like, you got to have stuff like that. We, we got to give Kyle Shanahan credit. He's always been creative. My only issue is that he's got an offensive offensive coordinator's ego. You know, late in the game, you got a lead and something like that. Rather than just run the ball, you just start getting pass happy. So that's only been my issue with him. But they do a good job of getting all their talent, all their talent involved. You know how Debo is. You use him any type of way you want to. And that's what gives them the advantage. I really like the way that team is built. I know a lot of people aren't big Jimmy G fans, but listen, he got a W yesterday against arguably the best quarterback in the league. So I got to give credit where it's due. I didn't get to catch the whole game in its entirety. I was at work, but just catching bits and pieces of it. I mean, this is playoff football. This 49ers team reminds me of how they were in the early, the early 2010s. Talented, but really just gritty. You know, they were in the game the whole game. You know, they missed some opportunities, but they stayed with it. To go out and beat a team like that in their stadium, all credit, man. They might go deep. They just try to try to get more – to get just get the most that you can out of your talent. Man, I hope Jimmy G improves from week to week. 
they might be somebody that's dangerous, man. To be honest with you. Yeah, I think the Jimmy G criticism was a little bit over the top. I mean, the guy went out there with an injured shoulder. He was limited in practice all week. He hurt his thumb. I mean, still going out there. I mean, the, he started out 0-4, but they had, what, three or four drops. I think that Kittle drop could have potentially been a huge gain for them. But there's just such a resilient bunch, and they find ways uh, to win. I mean, the special teams unit, think about uh, Aaron Rodgers hits Aaron Jones down the field 75 yards. You know, they're up 7 nothing. can possibly go up into the half up two scores, but then you see Nick Bosa come in, get a sack. They block a field goal there, Then and late in the game, they get a block punt for a touchdown, and then after that, you get the game-winning field goal. So I just think they just found ways to win based on all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, and guys make plays when they need to. Now, uh, Kev, um, 49ers defense. I was impressed with linebacker Fred Warner. I mean, he forced a fumble early in the game. He's all over the field making uh, play after play. Did, you, did he stand out to you as well? Um, he definitely did. Before I get into this too deep, um, Mike, I just want to um, do something here for you real quick. Uh, my daughter, who's listening right now, her name's Jelani Smith. She's out in Modesto, California, a uh, lifelong Packers fan. Um, she's been commenting. She's hollering it was the special teams. I uh, just want to yeah. give her a quick shout out to you. I told her, you do your thing with Amon Green. She's like, oh my God, no, no, she don't, Daddy. So, um, you know, I just had to uh, shout her out, my baby, Jelani. Um, she's uh, 18, uh, lifelong Packers fan, remembers you when you was um, even in her younger years or whatever. So uh, Let's go. she's listening right now. So I uh, just want to make sure I got that quick plug in for her. Uh, thanks for listening, baby. Uh, but as far as your question, I will, uh, you know, get a brief uh, pretty much with uh, with Fred wanted. I mean, that 49ers defense, uh, you know, because he was questionable as whether or not he was going to play into the game, you know. Uh, but he definitely made a, a huge impact. Um, you know, that interception, like, wow, it was, like, so, like, so timely. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it, it just was really, you know, just – it just came at the, a time that they really needed to force, uh, force the issue here. But, you know, when you look at Fred Warner um, overall, I mean, you know, he was just – I know his stat sheet don't really stick out. Uh, you know, but that was a huge tackle for loss that he also had as well um, for them. So, um, you know, it was just great. It was you just saw great team defense. Nobody really quote dominated statistics yeah, statistically for it, but what you saw was guys knowing their roles, standing in their lanes, and um and and fully taking advantage of the uh, opportunities given to them. Um, I like the stunts that the San Francisco defensive line was um, doing as well. Um, they was really doing a whole lot of, uh, like I say, crossing up, um, switching, switching around, just really causing some um, pressure that Aaron probably wasn't ready for. Let's talk about that uh, special teams unit now, Mike. And as you understand, <laughs> I mean, this has been an issue all year. What's going on with that Packers uh, special teams unit? And do you think their coaching staff is getting a little too much credit for the success of the overall team, or is Aaron Rodgers is masking a lot of? Problem yeah. that never addressed. <laughs> it's nuts, man. Like <laughs> you have a quarterback that's the best player in the league, you amass a lot of problems. And they're they're with 13 and four. They probably could have been 14 and three if they wanted to play that. That you know, they made the, the Lions game at the end of the year, the fourth preseason game. But you go through that year like that, and you know, Matt LaFleur is up for coach of the year, deservedly so, I guess. But then you start going. Wait a second! You have the thirty-second ranked special teams unit in the league. Like, how does how do how do those things work? Like, if you were the San Francisco 49ers, for example, with Jimmy G, 
you're not going to have the 32nd ranked special teams unit and it not be addressed. But we just, you know, having having a superstar just masks problems, right? That's just why I like like defensive teams. So even though I'm an offensive guy, like I love defensive teams because defensive teams, defensive coaches, they leave no stone unturned. Like this doesn't fly on another squad, man. And it's tough because I think as a Packers fan, you if you're in that community, they've been talking about it all year. Like they're going to cost us a game, and it's just a matter of when. And sure enough, last night there's other reasons you lose the game. Certainly, we could have played better on offense. But we lost that game because of special teams again. These, there's just too many plays this year and last year that were just not good enough for a championship level football team, and it sucks when it comes up to bite you in the first game of the playoffs. And you you basically have two home games to go to the Super Bowl, and you blow it on the first one against a team. And quite frankly, like the San Francisco 49ers played well. The linebackers, to your point, outplayed our tight ends big time yesterday. But they don't. San Francisco 49ers have no business being in a game with Aaron Rodgers at the level he was playing before last night unless we just make some critical mistakes, and we did. So before we switch gears, you look at the future of the Green Bay Packers. I mean, $44 million over the salary cap, Forty, I think 44 players under contract. Rodgers says he doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. What do you think the future there is for that team? You're asking me? I don't Gosh, I don't know, man. I just, I'm so, I'm so, where it's like everybody woke up sad this morning. And, and then he, and then he came out and made that statement and rightfully so. But I, you know, before he, last night, I would have said there's, I, I would think he'd stay because you just go, there's, there's really no other place. Where are you going to go that's going to give you a better chance to consistently win Super Bowls? I mean, look how good you've done. But then on the other hand, the Niners are what, 4 0 against them now in playoff games in the last, since in his tenure. And you just go, well, how the hell is that even possible? And again, it's just these little things. With with you know, McCarthy had some some demons when when they were in Green Bay. Now Lafleur's got this thirty second ring special teams. And look, I, I when I look at teams that are like always going to be good, I don't care who they are. I don't care who's Mike Tomlin's team is always going to be good. Jim Harbaugh's team is always going to be good, right? Bill Belichick's team is always going to be. Good. I start looking at, at those guys and the culture they have, the expectations they have, the standards they have on all levels of their team. And you go, man, Aaron might leave. Like, the Steelers is open. He might leave. I don't know. The Steelers, the, that right there might might lure him away because they have talent. Okay, let's uh, switch gears here and talk about the two games we have today. We'll start with the Buccaneers and the Rams. I think they play at 3.30 uh, this afternoon. What stands out to you uh, about that matchup, Smooth? Um, I'm looking at a team in, in the Rams that kind of built like the Lakers, man. You went out, spent a lot of money, got the most talented guys. I think a lot of them are a little bit long in the tooth. But this is a boomer bust type team. You know, they're they're here to win. So we get to see what Matt Stafford is made of. That's gonna that's exciting for me. We don't get to see him play in the playoffs at all, to be honest with you. So I'm excited to see how that rolls out. Um my cousin is the defensive coordinator for the uh, for the Rams, Raheem Morris. So I'm very excited for him to be in this opportunity. A little bit disappointed he hasn't gotten more interviews to be a head coach, but I think he has an opportunity to prove himself today against a very good football agree, team. Guy's awesome. Absolutely. So I'm excited about that. You know, it's a little bit personal. I want to see my guys win. But to be honest with you, <laughs> playing a pretty tough football team, and I think it can go either way. I'm just happy that, you know, these first couple of weeks we've been seeing some really good football, and this week has been outstanding. So 
I don't know who to pick, man, but I gotta root for the night. I gotta root for the uh for the Rams, to be honest with you. But again, people always tell you you don't bet against Tom Brady, right? <laughs> so I don't know, man. I'm I'm just rooting for the Rams, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm really impressed with the defensive line talent in this game. I mean, the Rams with Aaron Donald, veteran, uh Vaughn Miller, you got the Bucks with I mean Vita Vea, uh Dominican Sue still playing at a high level, Jason Pierre Paul, Shaquille Barrett. Uh, Kev, what do you think about these two defensive lines and how they match up today? Oh, I'm I'm definitely excited. You know, uh, Mike, you know, I hit you up in Twitter a few days ago telling you about, man, this is, you know, you want to talk about, you know, the, the battle in the trenches. Like, this is where it's at, man. Like, it's, you you literally could make an all, uh, a Pro Bowl, um, all-star, all-pro lineup with just between these two teams. For real. Um you know, I mean, of course, everybody, of course, everybody in the world knows about, you know, Aaron Donald, like he's in a class by himself. Like it's just it's just him. But, you know, when you look at, um, you know, when you look at a Greg Gaines, um, you know, coming in. I know you mentioned, um, you know, Floyd, who's like a linebacker, but, you know, they'll put him down, you know, like, um, you know, like an edge rusher. I mean, times along with uh, Vaughn Miller. But, um, you know, the Rams, you know, they 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 smell blood in the water, I, I feel like. You know, with this game, with um, I think uh, Tristan Wurst is officially out uh, for this game. Last I checked, and I think that um, the center, I think he's going to try to play uh, for the Bucks. Um, I'm trying to think, Ryan Jansen. Yeah, Ryan Jansen. Yeah, he's listening. It's questionable. Um, high, two high ankle sprains. Um, as someone that's had a high ankle sprain, I mean, who? I don't know what drugs are out there to try to mask it, Mike, <laughs> but. Uh, that that's if he's going to attempt to play on that and have to deal with, you know, Aaron Donald sitting there either at a, as a one technique or or, or whatever um, zero tech or however, you know, they decide to line them up because, you know, they slide, you know, down anywhere from the zero to the five. Um, you know, he's going to have a long day ahead, um, you know, because that uh, that ankle, you know, if you can't if you can't get your if you're not comfortable with your footwork. Uh, you know, you're gonna lose a lot of battles in the trenches, especially with someone as talented as diverse as what the uh, Rams bring to the table. Hey, Mike, quick question, question man. Quick question. Sean McVay versus Todd Bowles. One thing I love that Sean McVay is able to do is how the different ways he's able to scheme uh, Cooper Cup open and bring in Odell Beckham Jr. Now they have two a great compliment to him on um, the way he's able to run the ball. I mean. He, what do you like about uh, Sean McVay's scheme, Mike? And what do you think Todd Bowles will need to do to neutralize that attack? I think just what you said. He just he does a really good job. Cooper Cup's just having an unbelievable year. But you know, <clears throat> when uh, when they brought in Odell, he was going to be a complimentary player, and then they had another injury in the wide receiver position, as everybody knows. And between him and then Sean Jefferson's kid Van Jefferson, they are uh, really coming into their own. I think as a unit. Uh, Odell is just one of those guys that he is a difference maker. We saw him make the passes last week. He's, he's catching touchdowns now. And so he's become like an integrated part of that offense. And he, we know what a threat he is. Uh, I like Sean McVay's, I mean, everybody's running the same offense. They're like half teams in the league. Like this is Matt LaFleur's offense, Kyle Shanahan's. I mean, they're all kind of the same, right? And it just, you see that they have creativity. They try to get their good athletes into space. They try to you know, use a little bit of eye candy and make sure the defense has good eye discipline. And they get into problems when they have to throw the ball. I mean, when they have to drop back. Like their offensive line, I think they played really well last week, but 
I would have bet money or I'll continue to bet money that Tampa's defensive line is better than uh, the Rams offensive line. And so if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm lighting up Stafford early. Like I want to get him hit. I want to get in his face. I want him to, I want him to know if it's, you know, whether it's Shaq Barrett, whether it's Devon White coming up the middle, whether it's Vita just bull rushing a guy in, into his lap. I want him to know that we're there. Um, I I think it's this is going to be another one of those games that we've seen a lot of this year is where you're going to play a lot of like cover two, make him take make him take the game the distance, make him have an 18 play drive and just be comfortable knowing that like we'll probably get home before. We've got probably the tandem, the two best tandem linebackers in the game right now in Tampa Bay. And just let's just lean on our guys. We got all our defensive players healthy. Top bowls, like you don't need to do a lot here because I think you can get home with your guys, maybe bring a pressure every once in a while, but just really let's hit Matt Stafford and let's prove he can be a big time player because the jury's still out, to be honest. I know that they won last week, but it's, you know, his, his resume is, is not demonstrated that he's going to be a great playoff, uh, playoff quarterback. I know. I know. We'll go ahead. Let's go ahead. Someone. I just wanted to ask Mike, you know, being that you played the position, how do you typically deal with a guy like Vita Vea? He's a low. You know what? And I was like, I, I played it like 295. So if you get, he's like, he's like juggernaut, man. Like <laughs> you get him started, like it's over. So with a guy like Vita Vea, like I'm trying to take him down the middle and I'm going to short set him every time. Like we used to have, you guys remember Ted Washington and, and then and Keith Trailer when they were playing for uh, Chicago? It was kind of the same thing. It was like, man, you just don't want him to get started. The difference is Vita's probably a little bit more explosive as far as like he can go lateral and then vertical. But really, I just want to get on that guy, get my hands on him. I know I'm like, I know my hands are going to win inside versus Vita Vea. And so I just want to get my hands inside. I want to be able to lock him out and stop that momentum. And then it's just going to be that slow death, right? I can, I'm okay with the slow death. I just don't want to get tossed. I don't want him to get his hands near me. I don't want to hit his shoulder on my chest or something because then I'm going for a ride. Hey, Mike, real quick, I had another question for you. Um, Vita Vey, he kind of reminds me of one of your former teammates, uh, Gilbert Brown, um, <laughs> that you played with. Like, I love it. Like, Gilbert was – I know they said 350. Um, that might have been kind. <laughs> Gilbert had his own Whopper at Burger King, okay? So 350 <laughs> is generous, right? He literally had the Gilbert Burger in Green Bay. He had his own Whopper, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure going against him in practice, like, I mean, I'm sure that probably could have helped you with the, quote, Vita Veas of the world, because that dude was just, whew. I know trying it's to all, count one-on-ones with him were fun. <laughs> it, it's all it's all about center of gravity, right? And what happens is with those guys, their center of gravity is so low. I mean, they're just thick around the middle, like from knees to, like, chest. is just There's just a lot of man there, right? And so if they get underneath you, if you try to set back on them, I mean, there's, there's different ways to play different different defenders, right? And, you know, in pass rush, all that I really care about is can I get – I want to decide where I want to have confrontation, right? I know where my real estate spot is. And I want to get there under control, and I want to get there in rhythm. So with big guys, in some ways it's easier because I know they – like I'm not going to miss Gilbert Brown. Like my hands are going to hit him. I'm not going to miss Vita Bay. Like my hand – I might miss Shaq Barrett, but I'm not going to miss that guy, right? So I just need to be able to get my hands on him and then be able to lock out so he can't press on me. And then if he just basically – because now you're just basically running as a defensive lineman. You're using that 350, that 360, but it's all your legs. Like you can't extend out and press me. So if I win with my hands, I still feel pretty good about it, even though I'm undersized. 
But if the minute they get into your chest, man, it's lights out. You look foolish. You saw what he did to Jason Kelsey last week. Jason Kelsey's damn all pro. He threw him like it was a 20-cent ragdoll. It was unbelievable. Now we look at the other side of the ball. I mean, Tampa Bay, like Kev mentioned, Chris Tristan Wirfs is injured. We know they've been gutted at wide receiver, lost Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown with his situation. So, I mean, I expect to see probably Jalen Ramsey follow Mike Evans most of the game. I mean, they're probably going to end up in a situation where they're going to force somebody other than Evans to beat them. Luckily, they're giving getting uh, Leonard Fournette back this year. But, man, the Rams' defensive line, I mean, Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, what do you think um, Tampa Bay's key offensively is? I know Tom Brady always good to have him back there, but the offense is getting kind of thin, doesn't it seem, Mike? Well, they still have Gronk, and he's and he's pretty good. Fournette, I think Fournette is Fournette back. Fournette, Fournette's back too. Like yeah. Tristan Wirfs, Tristan Wirfs is a huge loss because, and I know Von Miller's had like a bunch of sacks in the last five games, but if you were to ask me what, as an offensive lineman, like what really scares me on the Rams. I would say there's only one guy that really scares me, right? And we all, I don't even see let's, this name does not even need to be said, right? But the rest of the guys, they're just guys now to me. Like Leonard Floyd, he, there's 20 Leonard Floyds in the league. Von Miller's not what he used to be, still a good player. But now Von Miller gets a backup. That, that kind of changes the game a little bit, right? And we all know, like anybody who's played in the league or watched Tom Brady on TV or whatever, like we know if you get to his knees – if you get bodies in front of his feet so he can't step up, he does not like that at all. And they just so happen to have the absolute best guy, maybe in the history of the league, of beating of beating humans in the A and B gap. So I would look at it like knowing Ryan Jensen, who's my favorite center in the league right now, is, is hurt. Knowing that guard plays – Marpet's a pretty good guard, but right, like I'd say guard, the guard play is probably weaker than, than their tackle play. Like I'm looking for Aaron Donald to be a game record today. I think he has to be in order to for the Rams to have a chance. And then, you know, Jalen Ramsey. I they've been, they've been mixing up with a lot of zone this year, and they kind of put him in the slot. They'll move him around a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But gosh, I I just really like we said before. I, it's it's so hard to bet against Tom Brady, man. He just proves you, he just makes you a liar so many times in your life. You know, like it's like rooting for the Packers against San Francisco. I guess like you only do it so many times. I had a question here for you, Mike, real quick. I know you like tight ends. Um, yeah. I know you mentioned Gronk earlier. Uh, you think it's a way to maybe counter to make up for the loss of wide receivers? Guys like uh, Cam and Brake could have a um, could have a, um, a potential yeah. impact. OJ Howard. I mean, I know he was drafted real high. Maybe not has lived up to the potential that many thought he would be. But um, what you think about those guys? Yeah, I think that's a great point because – and I, I would look at it this way, though. I would say that being able to play with multiple tight ends in the run game and just as a combat for what the, the St. Louis – or excuse me, the LA Rams are all about because they're not really that big, right? Like you look at you look at their box players, they're not big players. And so if I can – if I have uh, – Rob Gronkowski is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. If, if Brake can just show up and just be average, if we can just call it a draw – then we can get a lot of yards in the run game, and that's going to set things up a little bit differently in the pass game. So I would look at it like, let's use those guys in the running game. And then, of course, we can use them in the pass game, but let's use them to create a new line of scrimmage because one thing the Rams are susceptible to is, is getting blown off the line of scrimmage if we can get a double or a triple or whatever the hell we need to get on Aaron Donald. But everybody else, like you can move them off the line of scrimmage with one guy. So tight ends versus their like tight ends versus Floyd, I feel pretty good about. 
uh, smooth. I know, I mean, you got Leonard Fournette coming back. You got Ronald Jones. You got two undersized edge rushers. You think that's important for them to get that run game established today? I think that's the only way you can neutralize the matchup advantage with the Rams, which the Rams have. You know, to beat Tom Brady, pressure right up the middle, they have that. And you're missing your best tackle. You know, I know Raheem is going to take advantage of Christian Wirfs not being there. So, gotta just got to take advantage of that. That's the matchup advantage for the Rams. The way I combat that is I run the football. Just like Mike said, they're undersized on the inside. I go right at them. That, that helps me get my less talented offensive line some, some confidence. You know, that's how you beat a team like that. Run right at them. That's what I would do. So, Leonard Fournette, we know what he is. He's healthy today, like Mike said. They got a, a staple back there with just – a bunch of different guys that are physical running backs, and they can set the tone early. So, to me, that's how you beat a team that is more talented than you. You set the tone. You control the way the game goes. I'm running right at them. I know you expect Tom Brady to have a big day, but I think the run game is what helps uh, Tampa Bay win this one. There you have it. There should be two great games this afternoon. We got the Bucks and the Rams playing first, and then the primetime matchup with the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it's probably the game of the – Day, I mean, could be the AFC champion coming out of this game. I mean, what stands about what stands out to you about this game, Mike? The Bills and the Chiefs. Just that, uh, just that the Bills played one of the best offensive game or best complete games, I guess I've I've seen against you know a Bill Belichick coach team last week, and it just makes you. Like, I look at it. I think earlier in the in the week, I was thinking like, there's no way Josh Allen's going to play that way again, but. <clears throat> The Chiefs don't start fast. I mean, they've they've had even during Super Bowl runs, they've had these games where they're down a bunch. I remember they were down like twenty four nothing to the Texans a couple of years ago. I mean, they ju- they do this from time to time, and it's just this doesn't seem like one of those situations where they can get down and it's going to be okay. Like they're going to be able to make up for it. Um, I really like the Chiefs' defensive line since they since they brought in uh, Melvin Ingram from Pittsburgh. I think that's just made a huge difference in the way that they think about themselves because they get. Then they move Chris Jones back, and he's now like one of the best pass rushing D tackles in the league. They got two guys off the edge that can that can flat out play. I like the way their linebackers have been playing. So I like I like the matchups here all over. I think this is going to be a super entertaining game. But gosh, man, it's like when you play that when Josh Allen you play that well, you have seven straight scoring touch your know, touchdown scoring drives. Like it's tough to imagine you can sustain that. But anything even close is going to get you a win. So I was going to take the Chiefs. I think I'm taking. I just talked myself into taking the Bills. Uh, Chiefs, I mean, back-to-back Super Bowls, they won one, and they lost the Super Bowl last year, and they were just so banged up on the offensive line. They lost their starting left tackle, had to move Rimmers to left tackle. Offseason, I mean, they addressed the offensive line, signed Joe Thune from New England. They draft Trey Smith, who nobody wanted to take a gamble on because he had a heart condition coming in, coming out of um, Tennessee. They draft uh, Creed Humphrey, who's one of, evolving into one of the best centers in the league, uh, Kev, what stands out to you about the Kansas City offensive line and how they were able to rework that unit this offseason? Man, when I look at the um, Kansas City's offensive line, I ain't gonna lie, as a Panther fan, I, I, I get sad because <laughs> two of the players that me and um, and uh, Big Smooth did, and, and Mike, if you ever get a chance, check us out. Uh, we do, we getting ready to start dropping our draft profiles where we cool. uh, do a thorough breakdown, weaknesses, strengths, and everything. We, we started it last year. Um, so, you know, if you get a chance, check it out. We'll be posting on our Four Man West website um, here. But uh, these were two guys that we definitely had high on the list um, here. So seeing, seeing them bring sadness to me because they were there for us in the <laughs> second round. But cry me a river. 
what's done is done, you know. But uh, but far as uh, as far as with the Chiefs, I mean, you talk about transforming your offensive line literally in one all season. You know, they brought in four new starters. Uh, you know, and they just it took a while to jail because everybody knows offensive line takes the longest to get chemistry uh, to get the um, to get the jail with. But, um, you know, with when you watch the Chiefs, particularly when they do, they do a lot more. They used to be more zone blocking. But now with the guys that they added this past, I've seen I think they went to more power um, gap blocking schemes um, where they're double teaming the defense tackles and sliding off to the linebackers. Um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has been able to. Um, um, been able to eat when he's uh, been in. Uh, their other running back, uh, I believe his name is um, McKinnon. Um, I think he wears like number one. You know, he's been able to eat um, as well. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of this uh, offensive line, particularly in the uh, uh, particularly in the run game. Um, they're solid against the pass. Now, there have been times where they have looked like, uh, you know what? But <laughs> you know, hey, it happens. You know, the other team is is paid to make plays as well. Um, Orlando Brown Jr., which a lot of Panther fans wanted us to trade for when they found out the Ravens were making him available. Um, he's been uh, he's been steady as a left tackle, uh, following in his father's footsteps. Um, you know, the great Hall of Famer. Um, you know, just uh, the Chiefs line, they they they're going to get tested because there's nothing soft about this uh, front seven of the uh, Buffalo Bills, who uh, have several former Carolina Panther players on it. We'll get to that when we flip it on that side of the ball, but. Um, this Chiefs line, they, they're definitely going to put on a, a show today. It's, it's going to be a, a, a great match in the trenches as well. Um, these two games today, if you're a trench guy, this this is the Sunday that you want. You, you probably ain't going to really pay attention to the re- receivers to the show the replay. You want to see what's going on in the trenches. Um, that's how I see that see that for the uh, Chiefs. Now, Kevin mentioned the former Panthers on defense. I mean, you also have Sean McDermott, uh, former Panthers head coach at Buffalo. You got Mario Addison, Starla Tulele. A lot of former Panthers on that defense. How do you see them matching up against this explosive uh, Chiefs offense? Um, I don't want to focus so much on what's going on on the field. I mean, the players got to go out and win the football game. But I think um, I'm a huge fan of Sean McDermott. And I think that he's learned from his mistakes in every aspect. He understands that windows are small. This team has been steadily getting better every year. But that window to win one is small. So I think his team is going to come out with a different type of focus. You know, I think that this is their time. I have the I have the Bills getting to the Super Bowl. Not winning it necessarily, but I have them getting there. And it is a tough matchup because I love the Chiefs offensive lineup. You talked about centers earlier, Mike. I'm a huge fan of Creed Humphreys. Although my favorite center in the league is Frank Ragnow. So I'll, <laughs> I'll disagree with yeah, you on that. The Lions guy's good too, yeah. yeah. They missed <laughs> but, um, him. Trey Smith as well. I mean, I, Mike, I was so frustrated, bro, because we we took a long snapper <laughs> in the sixth round that we didn't even we didn't even sign. It, you know, Trey Smith was right there, so it's like a long snapper. <laughs> we took a long snapper. We, we took a long snapper that didn't make oh, the man. over Trey. Not Smith. even a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. But, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Chiefs in the trenches, but I just think that this is going to come down to, to coaching. I think Andy Reid, he did win himself a Super Bowl, but he does have the tendency to make some mistakes in big-time football. And I just think this is the this is the Bills' time. McDermott is going to come out with a focused football team. Everybody plays hard for him, and Josh Allen has gotten better every year. I think they, And he plays pretty well in the playoffs. So I think this is going to be advantage Bills. That's who I'm going with. 
Hey, well, there you have it. I mean, tonight, uh, I think it's 8.30 p.m. kickoff, so that should be a good one as well. We talk about the draft, the lineman we passed up on last year. For the last few minutes, we're going to take a look at some film of the lineman that we did draft, the uh, Panthers left tackle, Brady Christensen. I know a lot of our fans have been looking forward to seeing a little bit of film on Brady and how he performed at uh, left tackle this year. So let's take a look and see some uh, Brady Christensen film before we wrap it up for today. Um, his best game of the season, arguably against uh, Washington. I know Smooth does his offensive line grades. You're going to see Brady here. Looks like you're going to have a little bit of an uh, outside zone action. He's going to get his double team here and work his way to the second uh, level, get a good block there. What do you see on this play, uh, Mike, from Brady Christensen? Well, he's position blocking a little bit, right? So <clears throat> that's just not my style. I like to, I like to see guys come off the ball, especially when you have inside help. You want to come off the ball, and I want to set a new line of scrimmage. I want to put both hands on that guy's chest. I'm just pushing straight through, turning that shoulder and rising. I, I really want it to be violent, right? And you can't do that unless you have a good stance, loaded hips, and great initial footwork. So um, what I what I just draw from this, like initially, is that he's he's a good athlete. He can rise. He can move in space. But technically, there's some things lacking that could really make him an explosive player. Right now, let me uh, hold on. Yeah. Let me get mine because my point um goes in line with Mike. The first thing I have, the first issue I have is just his stance. He's not able to get in a yep. good football position, and you'll consistently see that play after play after play. And it blows my mind because if you look at his his numbers as far as performance, he has a really really good broad jump. He's an explosive football player, but technically he can't use that athleticism just because of the way he's coming out of his stance. Yep, and real quick, if I can throw my little jab in here, um, if you just like you saw my head has feet are aligned, if you see a lot of wasted steps, and when you're doing, and if you're running a zone play, uh, you can't have any wasted motion. I mean, it's several false steps that he's taking here as he you know reaches. Yeah, does he get to the second level? Yeah, but there he's just not bringing in. Excuse my language here, might enough ass with him when he, as yep. you mentioned, when he comes through and it just he blocks, but he doesn't block him. If you get what I'm saying. All right, uh, let's switch uh, gears here. So it's the second play. We're looking at Brady Christensen against the Washington team here. You know, he's going to try to reach block, get to the outside. Christian McCaffrey's going to get to the edge. Uh, anything stand out about uh, this play? It's just, it's exactly like you, you might as well be running the same play, right, as, as far as, you know, there's, there's kind of the way you look, the way you build out everything. It's like if you go to the weight room and you have a strength and conditioning coach and they teach you how to, like, power clean, right? There's, there's movement patterns that you build out in order to make a block. So blocking's not just go over there and block that guy, right? There's things that matter. The first thing is your stance, like you talked about, are you loaded hips, are your feet in a position to be successful? Then you got to look at your, your initial footwork and your hip height. Are you keeping your posterior chain loaded so you can explode through that defender? He doesn't take aggressive footwork. He's a, he Right now, this is position blocking. He's almost about to cross over here. You see his out, his backside hand is outside the cylinder. It's outside his phone booth, so he can't engage. So he's not going to win with that inside hand. So there's just like, again, you're just – whatever. and this happens in the NFL all the time. Whatever you do, positive or negative, is just based on you're a good athlete, you're out there, you know where you're supposed to go. You don't necessarily know how to do it right now. And so it's it's always hard. You can look at him and say, athletically, yeah, there's something there. But to your, to your guys' point – he might be the most explosive athlete in the world. You'd never know it because he doesn't know how to use it, utilize it. Right. Okay, so here we got a plus, uh, pass blocking rep 
from uh, Brady against uh, Washington. I'll let the play run, and I'll let you guys talk about what you see here. You guys go ahead. What do you think about it? Smooth, you want to talk about this pass blocking rep? Excuse me. <laughs> uh, go back to it. I just want to see his uh, his initial first step. What I do see, um, I'll wait till this commercial is over. Give me one second. <laughs> and while he's talking, it's always interesting. You know, I, I like to base everything off kind of like weight room, strength conditioning coach movement patterns, right? Right. And one thing that we see a lot with with linemen is you see, especially with tackles, you'll see because they don't have good ankle mobility, they'll kick their their. I can't see my feet, so my hands. I'm gonna go this way. So you, you'll kick your your foot out towards the sideline. And a lot of and what we've done is as coaches we've we've adopted this idea that like oh that's your kickstand but you know so but what happens is just from a just from a movement standpoint I want to be able to use my posterior chain that's the strongest kind of link in my body I'm talking about my my calves my hamstrings my 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 glutes my lower back right. and when I turn my foot I'm actually cutting off the ability to flex my glute as hard as I want and what that's basically doing is that is making it extremely easy as I kick back for a defensive lineman to open me up, right, and get my chest pointed towards the sideline. And now I have a two- or a three-way go. I'm not as strong as I want to be. And so right. we, when, when we talk about this, like just starting with the basic stuff, the stance, that's why he opens up so easily. Even though you have a successful play here, you go, you have a successful play, congratulations. But if he pressed you, you'd open up even more. It's like a can of sardines just because you – you're gonna to point toward. You're gonna to point that foot towards the sideline too fast. Right. You have anything more? One hundred percent. That's smooth. Okay. I agree one hundred percent. Just he's not square enough for me. Um, right. I routinely see this though, so I'm glad Mike was able to give us some perspective and maybe explain it to our fans in a different way because I found I sound like a broken record. You know. Right. Same thing every week, and I just I'm gonna hold the coaching staff accountable because, like I was telling you last episode. I didn't see much growth from individual players on this offensive line throughout the year. It's not just Brady, but where's the where's the growth in mechanics? I just don't see it, man. I'll tell you what happens a lot, and I, and I don't know this is the case with the Carolina Panthers. I do not know this, but I'll tell you what happens a lot. You come in and you had a you had a college offensive coordinator, right? So who's who's coming up with the practice schedule on the offensive side, offensive coordinator? And what happens a lot is because we got scheme guys everywhere now, right? Everyone's a scheme genius. And we just forget about teaching our athletes to be the best at the basics of the sport. And so individual period, like the time that an offensive line gets to do work goes from, I don't know, do we used to have 25 minutes, 20 minutes, down to 15, down to 10, down to five. I remember my first year in Miami, we had a four-minute individual period for Wednesday, Thursday practice. Think about that. Four minutes. How are you – I mean – you got to find a way to do it. There's no, there's never excuses, right, at the, at the NFL level. But how are you as a coach supposed to convey information and get that many people better in four minutes without going, hey, listen, we got to go, we got to start doing before, after, before our pre-practice routine, post-practice. Like, we got to get so much more work out of you guys because it's not going to get done otherwise. And that'll be a big off-season topic this uh, spring is who's the Panthers going to bring in to as their offensive line coach to 
help develop these guys. And I look at, I'm just rolling through the film now. A lot of it, I mean, you're going to see the same thing we've been talking about, I guess, with Brady, his stance, um, things like that. Um, let's take a look at some Saints reps as well before we uh, wrap it up for today. Uh, Smooth, what do you see here on this uh, pass blocking rep coming up from uh, Brady again? I think that's the linebacker. Uh, I see him lunging, relying more so on his arms and his feet, which is a no-no for me. The guy, extremely athletic. There's no reason why you shouldn't be – you shouldn't have more confidence in your feet right here, man. It's just – everything starts from the first step. It's the stance, man. It's really just the stance. Like, that right. That affects everything else you do throughout that rep. So he's at a disadvantage off rip if you look at this play right here. That's why he's lunging, and now he's vulnerable. It's not really it's not really complex with this situation, man. I think he needs to have a, a hardcore offseason, get with somebody like Big Duke or, or Willie and get his get his get his mechanics in order. I think it's all mechanical for him because he's a he's a extremely athletic player. There's no reason why he can't be a good football player. He just has to improve mechanically. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, oh. If you don't mind, Mike. And Mike, I just want to ask you a question here, uh, real quick. Uh, one of my criticisms of Bray Christians, uh, like you said, he doesn't bring enough uh, nasty to his game. If, if throughout his breakdown, we saw him in college and so far in the pros, is that nasty instinct? Is that something that can be coached, or is it that simple one things? Either you got it or you don't in your in your experience. Like as far as uh, when it comes to just you know spit, snot bubble, you know taking it to the guy or. Like, is that something that can be coached up, or is that if he ain't got it, he ain't got it? You know, I think I think to a certain extent. Now, listen, there's there's just people who love the violence, and there's people who don't, right? But I think to a certain extent, what we can always coach is how to finish through the whistle, and it really just comes down to guys and every everybody you know who's ever played sports knows this. Like, if you're confident in what you're doing, you're going to carry yourself with a different demeanor. Right. And when you carry yourself with that kind of demeanor, you're OK starting, you know, through the whistle confrontations. You're you're more comfortable finishing plays. And so I think, you know, the best the best coaches that I've ever been around in any sports are the guys that have the attitude of, hey, man, we're going to go work hard, kick ass and enjoy doing both. And that gives you that preparation confidence that gives you kind of the authority, the, the internal authority to go out there and be a little bit more, hey, I'm going to finish this guy to the ground. I'm going to finish through the whistle. I'm going to push him over the pile. They might not naturally be that way. Jordan Gross is one of these guys. Remember Jordan Gross? Jordan Gross is the nicest guy in the world. It used to just baffle me because he was the nicest guy in the world, but but he could be violent. Like he could just talk. He, I saw him toss Kevin Williams on the ground like three times in a row. I couldn't believe it, right? But it was because he was so confident in what he was doing. And so you can be a nice guy and you can be kind of a happy-go-lucky guy and still be a violent player, but you have to have that confidence. And right now, like, when we look at this Brady Christensen, guys, I, we can all probably agree, can he play in the NFL? Absolutely. Does he have to get, like, remarkably better this year and be comfortable with his hip height, be comfortable with his initial footwork, everything you talk, you guys talked about? Like, he's got to get demonstrably better in order to be – a winning player in this league next year for the Carolina Panthers. Mike, one more thing you, you'll notice is how often do you see him actually win the leverage battle? He's rarely getting under guys. 
his default. I, 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 the first time I watched ten snaps of this guy like last week, right? Because I, yeah, if you guys had talked about it, and his default is to stand up, right? Like in other words, Trent Williams' default is to kind of sit in that hip hinge position, like he's going to do a power clean, or Tristan Wirfs' default position is to sit in that hip hinge position. His this guy's default position is to stand up, and so he'll become a waist bender. And there's a difference between a waist bender and a hip bender, right? We always just talk about waist and knees, but it's really, can you bend your hips? Can you load your hips for, for, for violence? And you can get there. And it's just, again, it's just being disciplined. We just call it being, are you comfortable being uncomfortable? Can you get there? And it just takes time, but that's why he loses these leverage games because initially he's, you know, we talk about in the pass pro game, like, I don't want to see your numbers. Like, I don't want to see 70. I want, I want you over like you're playing, like you're playing defense. Like, a hip hinge position is the is the mechanically best way to go. We've we've taught our athletes, we've taught our linemen to have our chest straight up and down. But that is literally we are literally the only athletes in any confrontational sport that actually are doing that. We I don't, it's just tradition. It makes no sense. You think about mechanically what the best way to move and what the best way to give and absorb pressure is. It's not that. And so we just got to teach guys like this. Hey man, you got to sink your hips down so we can have more success. All right. And if I'm allowed to ask Mike one more question, I don't know how much time we got left. Um, and I listened to the podcast episode from last week. I didn't hear this answer, but if it was in a different way, forgive me for asking him. Uh, but Mike, it seems that the most offensive linemen that the Panthers have seem to be fitted more for zone blocking. But multiple times, Matt Rule has said mid-season and out-season wants us to be more of a power run game. From your mm-hmm. experience, like, is – is is that something like if a guy's mostly been zone blocking, like can he develop? Is that something that can be coached up and developed, or is again is that one of those things that he's naturally got it like that? Uh, because I, I just don't see it from what the film watching me and Big Smooth have that we can be a this power run team that our still current head coach says that he wants us to be. Because you know he just values too much of the RAS scores, and I heard how you shot that down a lot last week. All the analytics, you know, that seems to be what's to crave. Um, you know, I'm old school. You know, with with mines, you know, I, I you know line up, punch you in the mouth until you say daddy. But um, how, how do you feel about that? Like, is it is it able, are you able to like make the adjustment from one type style to the other? Yeah, so I, I want to say first, like with all like the PFF scores and all that kind of stuff, it's not that I'm anti-analytics. Like I just I always going to trust my eyes because I know I've I've been in statistics enough to know that I can make an argument at any number you want, right? I I can make a number mean what what I want it to mean. So I just get it's frustrating when you get out here and you talk to people and, and they just all they do is they come out come out on Twitter and make some like ridiculous statement about a statistic that means no has no contextual intelligence whatsoever. When it comes to this stuff, your question is a very good one. And for me, I always cringe, honestly, at the NFL level when I hear a coach like, oh, we're going to be a zone team or we're going to be a block or like a, a, a power or gap team. Because the basic movement patterns of being an offensive lineman, whether you're a zone blocking team or whether you're a gap team, you're downhill, dude, they're, they're not that different. They're, foundationally, you all have to do the same things pretty well, right? Can you gain leverage with your first step? Can you keep your hips high and your pad level down? Can you can you come to balance on your second step in a position to strike with your inside hand? Like it doesn't change. These things are always and we just we talk ourselves in and out of like, are we able to do this? Are we able to? You should have to be able to adjust to whatever the defense is willing to give up, right? And we have to be able to if if we're playing against some big guys in the middle, 
and we want to get them running and we think we can cut the backside off, great, let's run zone. We got some small guys in the middle and we can, we know we can get downhill on double teams. We, we, we should probably be able to do that, right? And for me, the key of, of, of having a successful offense is when you build out your plays, they have to be built on these concepts. So, for example, I want to build out a concept that is an inside zone play to the right, or let's let's say it's let's say we're running our power play to the right. So we got our our ninety six power to the right. Okay, off of that play, I want to run our keep pass. I want to run our boot. I want to run a drop back play action. I want I want to run a flick the other way. I want to run a reverse. Like I want to hat or I want to run a backdoor cut on that. I want to run an RP. Like I want to run that so my players get full speed reps on that specific technique over and over and over again so that I can be a, a high performer in whatever we're running. You see what I mean? What you've been, you guys have been in practice before. Let's say we run like 96 power, bang, 96 power. Great. And then it's like 96 power, keep pass. And what does everybody do? They stand up, they go half ass and it looks terrible, right? They don't, and they change their stances. They do all this nonsense. It's like you're missing opportunities to get better, right? You're missing opportunities to get better. In, in the NFL, with the amount of walkthroughs and non-padded practices we have, all we're doing really is missing opportunities to gain the advantage on our opponent because sometimes we don't practice with the detail and discipline that we need to. So I, and that was a long-winded answer, but I, I hope that makes sense. And I know we mentioned that uh, P Mike mentioned PFF. What people need to realize is that PFF is a results-based grading system. So a player can, if he doesn't give up the sack, he's going to get a positive grade. But as we saw with Grady Christensen, he had some reps where his technique wasn't correct, but he was still had the end result was right. So I think it's just up to the coaching staff to make him understand. Even though the positive, the outcome of the play was positive, there's still some things that you need to sharpen up in order to improve yourself as a Football player. So smooth, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna ask Mike if he wanted a job. You know, maybe there's a way to apply. What's the <laughs> application process like over there? <laughs> That's all I'm asking, man. I, I like what you bring to the table. I think it's so man, I love I tell you what, dude, I, I love developing players. Like I love it so much. I love football. I, I was out of football for like four or five years, and I just love being around. I love talking about it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always trying to figure out what the what avenue is the best avenue for me, as far as as far as being with teams, just in, developing individuals, talking to guys like you know, talking to you guys, and or, or or working with working with coaching staffs on kind of developing their culture. I, I love all parts of it, man, and it's so exciting to when you get the chance. You think about this, guys. Like we all we love football, right? But those guys, they're literally living the dream, right? They wanted to do that stuff that they were six years old. Like in third grade, I wrote a paper. About that, the teacher asked me what I want to do when I grow up. I was, I'm going to be a pro athlete. And she was like, I, this is a true story. She was like, no, nah, I want you to write something more realistic. I was like, I'll take the bad grade. Okay? Because that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. That was my dream. And so when I see an opportunity with these guys that are like completely committed to being their best, and, and you have these phenomenal athletes, you can actually go help them, and they're not getting what they need, man, I get super passionate about it. Because I see guys, I'm like, man, you could be so much more. Like, you could do everything that you told your mom you were going to do when you were 10 years old. You could do it. It's right there. And we just don't give them the tool set to be successful sometimes, and it's frustrating. But, yeah, I love this stuff. I love it. Did you ever get a chance to go back and tell her, oh, yeah, by the way, I did become a pro athlete? <laughs> no, man. I don't even remember. You know what? It's one of those deals where 
I like I came from a small town. I grew up with there was like one stoplight. And uh, it was as soon as I left, like everybody, not, not just me, but like it was it, the way that that town works is like once you leave high school, your entire family moves. <laughs> so I, I had no reason to go. I, I think I've been back like twice in my life. All right, so we're a little bit over an hour, so we'll try to take a couple of fan questions before we uh, call it a day. Uh, first question is from Bill Spears, good follower of our. Um, <laughs> He says, might see the glaring handicap of short arms of Christensen. <laughs> I love he's a lead. It's a leading comment at the end there. No, I don't. I, I think, like, I, I was good friends with John Ogden. John Ogden could, like, he could tickle your nose from, like, across the across the room. His arms are so long. So I get it. But you guys know this, right? What is the number one problem for offensive linemen right now in, in, in the game? It's defense good defensive coaches are telling them hey i want to smell their i want you guys to smell their breath before we make a play like i'm attacking elbows and armpits and we aren't we're not doing a great job of teaching guys how to lock out cuz we're not in good body positions like we just showed with Christensen. like if you're leaning over you're not going to punch in the extent you're not going to lock out like you should so it's not about it's not for me it's not about arm leg it's like do you have your body position right is your footwork right are you squared line of scrimmage like are you doing all of those things and then we can have a conversation about, oh, maybe his arm's like an inch too short. But, no, nah, that's that's not a big deal to me. Okay, this next question from – sorry, I can't pronounce your name or username. It says, what's more important, the technique or the results? <laughs> you, you asking me? Yeah, that was this next question. So, what's more so, important? So it's, it's a results-based business, right? So this is there's, – there's kind of obvious answers here. But because here's my here's here's my plea to to an NFL organization, because it's a results based business, we already know what the results are. It is so important that you focus on your process of doing things the right way, and you and you have something you can stick to, and you and you and you have the character to stick to it when the results aren't exactly what you want. That's what good. That's what that's what makes up a good a great organization, a sustainable. That's why Mike Tomlin wins. That's why Harbaugh wins. Right. That's why Belichick wins. Because when it's not good, they don't just jump ship and start, you know, putting their palms up. And so they're both important for different reasons because you're going to get fired if you don't get one, but you're going to get fired if you don't institute the uh, the technique and the process. Okay, great. It was like this uh, last question from Kevin's daughter, Jelani. What do you think <laughs> the Packers' goal in the draft should be this year? <laughs> so they're going to have a late draft pick, right? Late round one. I would say, like for me, if there was a really good tight end available, I would say a really good tight end. I don't think we need anything else on offense. Uh, and then defensively, I don't feel great about our. I like Amos. I don't feel great about Savage as a safety. I think we we you know we have a, a kind of a wealth of talent right now with Jair Alexander coming back last night at the at the DB DB position. But I in this game, I just don't think you can have enough guys that can just really come up and tackle well and. Um, I would probably look at a safety. Okay. All right, great. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in this afternoon. I'm enjoy the games later today. Before we sign off, uh, Mike, do you have any final comments you want to tell everybody? No, just thanks for having me on, guys. I love talking ball with you. I'm really uh, – it picked me up because I was really depressed about the Packers game last night, and I, I almost forgot about it until I just brought it up again. But I think it's going to be a great day of football today. This will be fun, and, and uh, hope to catch up with you guys soon. Uh, great. Kev, you have anything else you want to say? No, as always, I just want to thank each and every last one of our um, four-man rush fans that came in 
Uh, thank you for, you know, following us like you do. Um, I know we haven't had a winning season since we've been on in 2018, but appreciate it. I uh, appreciate all the questions have for Mike. Mike, my inbox be flooded. I'm like, hold on, let's just make sure he's coming on. <laughs> so you definitely have generated a lot of interest. So, again, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, um, to be with us, and hopefully we can do it again um, real soon. All right, uh, smooth. You have any final words you want to say before we sign off for tonight? No, y'all know I like to keep it short. I appreciate you, Mike. I'm learning a lot talking to you week for week. Otherwise, keep pounding, man. All right, well, there you have it. Uh, again, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hopefully, you know, you enjoyed the recording today. If you missed it, it'll be live on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, or all of our podcast platforms with iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you check out Mike's Twitter handles and his screen name. Uh, right there. Check out his website, uh, process2perform.com, and I'll uh, enjoy the games. Keep pounding, and we'll see you next week.